We're in Mark chapter number 10 this morning. In this passage of scripture, we have the story of the rich young ruler. I've alluded to him many times, but I don't believe I've ever actually specifically preached from this passage. I think the message will be fairly easy if you take notes. I think it'll be fairly easy to keep track of, but we're going to do some, uh, what we call it, detours along the way. And those are all intentional and maybe it make it a little more difficult to take notes on, on the detours. Uh, but anyway, it should be fairly straightforward if you're taking notes. Let us read. We'll begin reading in verse number 17. We'll read down through verse number 31. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Thou shalt do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and said, and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to, go, to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith with Men, it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren, or sisters or father or mother or wife or children, or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions in the world that to come eternal life and in the world to come eternal life but many that are first shall be last and the last first title of this morning's message almost is not enough almost is not enough father we bless your name it is our privilege to be here the grace that is, has poured down upon us just in these last few moments, Father, is more than we could ever deserve in a lifetime. The grace with which you fill our lives is more than we can comprehend. Father, we're just needy little children. And we come and ask that your spirit would teach us Lord, we cannot meet any needs here, but you can meet all of them. And so we ask that without exception, you would work in hearts and lives. We ask that no one would be overlooked, that no one would be allowed to just sit, but that your spirit would quicken each mind 
and teach the truth that each needs. This is a request that only you could answer, and we bring it because the Lord Jesus already purchased it. And so in his name we ask these things. Amen. In this passage of scripture, we find that a man comes to the Lord with a question. Now we find out later in the passage, in verse number 22, that he's rich. We find out in a companion passage, Matthew chapter number 19, that he's young. And we find out in another companion passage in Luke chapter number 18 that he is a ruler, that he has some authority. So the man that comes to him is known as the rich young ruler. We find out some other important things about this guy as we read the passage. He has a lot of right things. So number one, he has the right urgency. Look at verse number 17. And when he was gone forth, that's the Lord, into the way, there came one running. There came one running. This man came running to the Lord. I don't know about you. I don't do much running anymore. When I was a kid, when you were a kid, you ran everywhere. You remember that? You didn't have to have a reason to run. You ran. You ran everywhere. You ran for the fun of it. That boat has sailed. If you see me running, there is an absolute reason for it. Because generally, once you become an adult, running loses its appeal. Now, just for your information, societies where walking is the general mode of transportation, nobody jogs for just for... Uh, entertainment, okay? Nobody does that in a society where you walk. We'd see a lot of runners who are older these days. That's because we drive everywhere. But in a society where everybody walks, this man was not running because he was a jogger, all right? Not only is this man no longer a kid, he's wealthy. And typically, wealthy people don't run. If they need something done, they hire somebody else to do their running for them. On top of that, he's a ruler. He has authority and dignity. Both of these make running a no-no. So, we have this rich, young ruler. He's young, he's rich, and he has authority, but he has, the burden on his mind is so urgent that he comes running to the Lord. You know, it is shocking to me how complacent people are about eternity. It is shocking. I cannot tell you how many times people have said to me, would you please pray for my relative? They are sick or they are this and they need to hear the gospel. They're old and I want to go give them the gospel, but they just don't want to hear it. I can remember, I'm pretty sure it was dad that told me this a long time ago, that he went to the hospital, and this is, you know from this illustration, this is a long time ago. He went to the hospital and the man was so sick that he was in an oxygen tent. I don't even know if they do that anymore, but he was in an oxygen tent. Dad went to see him, and while he was there, the man turned off the oxygen and got, sat up on the side of the bed and smoked a cigarette in the hospital, which is, it almost blows your mind these days. But he sat on the side of the bed smoking a cigarette. He had lung cancer so bad, but he smokes a cigarette, 
and he didn't want to hear the gospel. I'll talk about that later. Later? <laughs> Are you kidding me? You're in an oxygen tent. You have got to be staring eternity in the face. No, I don't want to think about that right now. It is a very common thing. People just don't want to think about it. They don't want to talk about it. There's no urgency about eternity. And all over the world today in churches just like this one, maybe in this one as well, people will be confronted with their need of salvation and their response will be, not now, not now. I'll think about that later. I have other things to think about right now. Don't, don't bother me with that right now. I hope that is not you today. The Holy Spirit does not always draw. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. There is an urgency to this matter. And this rich young ruler, he had it. He came a-running. He had the right urgency. Number two, he had the right attitude. Look at verse number 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him. This young man comes running to the Lord and immediately kneels in front of the Lord. Now, kneeling is a sign of respect and a recognition of authority. This young man had the right attitude. He recognized the authority and the superiority of Jesus Christ. You know, I'm afraid that, especially in our country, and even in our churches, this has been lost in God's people. It's hard to even say that God's people could have lost their proper attitude, that right respectful attitude toward the Lord. But it seems like everywhere you look, there's a super casual approach to the Lord Jesus. I don't have any, all I watch at home is pre-recorded stuff, so I never see, I almost never see commercials. But the other day we were staying in a hotel and I had the TV on, and some of the commercials, they were religious commercials. Some of them, if they weren't blasphemy, they're the right next thing to it. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. I'm sure there are well-meaning people on the other end of that thing, but this is all but blasphemy, what they're talking, the, the casualness. We have a family chat. The Lord has my family all spread all over the country. And so all of us are in our different places. So we have a family text, a group text, that we all group text all day long. It's my phone, ding, 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 all day long. Kit, pictures of the grandkids and what the kids are doing and just all kinds of stuff. I love it, okay? It's the way we stay connected. Even the Lord has those different spots. And sometime this week, Kelly was at a flea market or something like that, and she saw a, a picture. She saw the cover of a Bible. I'll call it a Bible. I don't like to even call it that. She took a picture of this Bible and sent it to the, pic, the chat. It was so casual with the Lord, with the scriptures. I actually tried to delete the picture out of my phone because I didn't even want that picture in my phone. You just don't do that. That's a line that you just do not cross. There's this casualness. Go to any religious store. And if you have any sense at all, You'll read t-shirts that make the hair stand up on the back of your neck like, you have got to be kidding me. 
You're not printing that and people wearing that in public, are you? There is a casualness, a flippancy with God that is not scriptural. This casual, flippant approach to Jesus Christ is entirely foreign to the scriptures. Mark it down. They called him the Lord Jesus. He is called the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Prince of peace. And every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That makes him relevant. That's what the society is trying to do. They're trying to make Christ relevant. He is relevant, my friend. He is the King of kings. That makes him relevant. And if you read the book of Revelation, you'll find out that this casual approach to him is not scriptural. Now make no mistake, the blood of Jesus Christ provides you bold access. But it does not entitle you to brashness or a flippancy with the King of kings and Lord of lords. Make no mistake here, my friends, and God's people sometimes fall into this. He is the high and holy one. Do not fall into this flippancy with the Lord Jesus. This young ruler knew that. He came running and he knelt. He had the right urgency and attitude. Number three, he had the right desire. Verse number 17, and when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled and asked him, Good master, what is it that I may do that I, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? He has the right desire. Turn on the religious channel. Carol hates it when I do that. When we stay in a hotel, sometimes I'll turn on the religious channel just to watch. Some of these guys are, they're shysters, but they're sharp. Trying to learn a few tips and techniques here. Get the offerings up. <laughs> These guys are sharp. Carol just, she shakes her head and she goes into her little own little world if I do that. Anyway, almost any time, day or night, turn these guys on. And what you're going to find is them preaching how you can be healthy and wealthy by coming to Jesus Christ. That he is your guide to health and wealth. Now, these guys drive big cars, have private jets, and live in large homes. How can that be? Because that's what the average person wants from Jesus Christ. Health and wealth. They want to live on this planet and have a good time while they're doing it. They are so focused about this world. They want all the pleasures they can get, and it takes money and health to do that. And so they want to live here as best they can and enjoy life while they're here. And so they link up with these guys and send them all their money. If you turn on the radio, you turn on the TV, that's what you find. The average person is looking for someone to tell them how wealthy God will make them if they just come to Christ. Only human beings could be that stupid. Yes. Only human beings could focus their entire existence on this time now and not the future. Only an idiot could do that. Let me give you an illustration. I used this a lot to help kids understand eternity because it's such a big thing in our mind. In my office, I have a calendar that I use for planning. It is the entire year on one sheet of paper. 
You got that? That's pretty easy to see, right? 2020, it's got 22. <laughs> day, day late and two years short. How's that? <laughs> I wasn't in charge of the bulletin date this week either, just so you know. I got the entire calendar, 2022, on one thing, all 12 months. Now, if I went and got a calendar from 1968 that was the same, that's the year I was born, and then I put 69 behind that and 70 and, 70, and I had the whole stack, I would have 54 calendars from 1968 till today. You understand that? Okay, now, a stack of 54 calendars, one single piece of paper, would be about a quarter to three-eighths of an inch thick. Okay, you got that. Now, if I take the rest of my existence, now, you've got to know that ain't going to be more than an inch left. Okay? <laughs> Best case scenario, if you want to call it even that, uh, my life is going to be with calendars behind that. It might be, the three-eighths might be all we've got, but an inch is about, what, or a half inch is about what we've got here. Everybody understand that? Of, of calendars. Okay? That stack would represent my life. Okay? Now, keep adding calendars behind that. I've got my half inch here. That's my entire life from 1968 to the day I die. We'll put a calendar behind that. That's the next year after I die. And the year behind that, right? Now we keep going and we go down the aisle. Calendar, how many calendars do you want to get to the back of the door there? That's a heap of years, isn't it? I go out the door and I go on to Vandalia, still stacking calendars behind. I go down Vandalia to Interstate 80, still stacking one year at a time behind, one sheet of paper behind. I go down Interstate 80 through Chicago and I keep going. I hit the, the coast and cross the Atlantic Ocean, still putting one calendar behind another. I go across Europe and across Asia, still stacking one calendar behind the next. Think about how many calendars that is now. I go across the Pacific Ocean, I come back across to California, I'm still packing calendars behind until I come back where I match back up here at the, how many calendars do I have now? Your mind says, I quit at, at, at Chicago. I got off the train, I couldn't go anymore. That's eternity. And we just get going there. Now, only an absolute idiot will say, this half inch is what I got to focus on. When the rest of it represents eternity and you have to spend someplace, either heaven or hell. Only an idiot would say, this is super important to me that I live healthy and wealthy in this half inch. Only an idiot. And that's humanity. And this rich young ruler, he has the right question. He's got the right desire. What do I need to do? I've got to have eternal life. I'm not focused on this world at this moment. I need to know where I'm going to spend eternity. He has the right urgency. He has the right attitude. He has the right desire. Now, let's take a quick sidetrack here. Look at verse number 18. The Lord calls, the, the ruler calls the Lord Jesus good master. In verse 18, Jesus said to him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. In the strictest sense of this word, it could not be used for anybody, the word good cannot be used for anybody but God. We use the word often like we say, we had a good time, I have a good boss, that was good. But in its real meaning, it means 
perfectly moral. Good as opposed to bad. Good meaning there's no bad in it. No, only God could fit that description. Now, I'm going to make a statement here that will make the religious people of the world stand up and throw rocks because they won't understand it, but I'm going to say it because it's the absolute truth. Here we go. If Jesus Christ is not God, then he is not good. Mark it down. If Jesus Christ is not God, then he is not good. The religious people of this world like to think of him as, he's a good man, he's a good teacher, he was a good example. But they do not believe him to be God, and it simply cannot be. He is either God or he is not good. Over and over he claimed to be God. This is why the Jews of his day were always trying to kill him. Over and over, he claimed to be the Savior of the world. Did he not say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If Jesus Christ is not God, then he is a habitual liar and a deceiver of men. How could he possibly be considered good? But the Bible is clear and the proof is positive. Jesus Christ is God. And therefore, he is entitled to the, the title of good master that was given to him by this rich ruler. It is entirely appropriate. This rich young ruler, he has the right urgency and he has the right attitude. He has the right desire. And we find in number four, he has the right knowledge. Look at verse number 19. This is Christ speaking. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. The Lord here lists six of the Ten Commandments. I think we ought to note first off that these are actually commandments. Just so you know, they're not suggestions. These are not good ideas that the Lord just kind of threw out there for society. My friend, these are expectations. In our world today, all of these things are up for debate. Well, I can tell you the world can debate them all they want, but God's already spoken. And he didn't give us suggestions. He said, this is the way that it is. No matter what society says around you, it is the way that it is. The righteous judge, the one who has the ability to make these decisions, already made them and said, don't do these things and do these things. So do not put a question mark where God already put a period. He has already spoken, and no matter what society says, that does not alter God's opinion. And he laid down the law. They are not suggestions, my friend. They are commandments. It's also interesting here that the Lord only lists the last six commandments. And these are the ones that are dealing with man's relationship with man. The first four of the Ten Commandments actually deal with uh, man's relationship with God. Now, in fact, the Lord, in, in two chapters more, in Mark 12, the Lord sums up these two commandments. Do you know how the Lord sums up all the, all the commandments, actually? He sums them up into two. He said, all the commandments that have ever been given can be summed up in two things, in two commandments. Number one commandment, you should love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. And number two commandment, 
love thy neighbor as thyself. All of the law comes into those. All the Ten Commandments can be summed up in those two. You take the first four, that's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. You take the last six, love your neighbor as yourself. Now we'll see in a little while why he doesn't list the first four. But the rich young ruler was no stranger to these teachings. He had grown up listening to these and learning them. He knew what the Bible said. Did not Christ say to him, Thou knowest the commandments? He had the right knowledge. He had the right urgency. He had the right attitude. He had the right desire. He had the right knowledge. We also find he had the right, number five, actions. He had the right actions. Verse number 20. And then he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. When this man is confronted with the scriptures, He's not taken off balance. He's like, oh, what? Is that what I was supposed to be doing? He knows the commands, and he has been living them. This man has not been out sowing his wild oats, as they used to say. He's not been living a life of sin and debauchery. He's not fill, had been filling his mind and his life with the corruption of the world. He was actually brought up just like most of the young people in this church. They know the correct doctrine. You ask our kids, they can give you the answer to almost any Bible question you want to ask them. And you look at their lives, they're good, moral, upstanding people in the community. He had the right life. He had the right actions. He had these commands. He knew what they were. He wasn't out just being wild. He was living according, basically, to the scriptures. So you say, this guy's right on the money. He has right urgency and the attitude and the desire and the knowledge and the actions. And isn't it strange? He's there on his knees in front of the Lord. He knows when he sums it all up that this isn't enough. There's something that I am lacking for eternal life. There's something that's missing here. I've been doing all this, but there's something that is not, I still don't have. I think you better make a note of this. I suppose there are some in this room who are thinking, boy, have I got a lot to make up for. Boy. I shouldn't have done that. And if I could just get on the right track, if I could just make amends, I've got this life into some kind of a mess. I've done a lot of things I shouldn't do. I shouldn't have done a lot. I, I've got a things that I didn't do that I should have done. And you're thinking, if I hadn't done those things, if I could get cleaned up, I could get my act all straightened out, if I could get back on the right path, if I could just do a little bit better than what I've been doing in the past, that's your thinking, you might as well throw that out the door. Because here's the man who is on the path that you're hoping to be on. And what's he doing? Kneeling in front of the Lord saying, I'm missing, still missing something. He has the life that you're hoping to get, and he's saying, there's something not here. I'm, how do I get to heaven? My friend, going to heaven is not based on your ab ability to earn the way there. Nobody could get to heaven that way. We are all sinners. 
Sure, our sins are of different shapes and sizes and shapes, but we all fall short of God's perfection. Salvation is not based in what you do, but what Jesus Christ has already done. He died on the cross as your substitute. He died on the cross in your place. He died on the cross for your sin. His death balances the books, not your good deeds. Now, why would God do such a thing? Why would God pay your sin debt? Why would Jesus Christ come and die on the cross for you? Why would he do that? Well, we find the answer to that in verse number 21. Then Jesus beheld him, loved him, and said unto him. Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Do you realize that God loves you? Not the person sitting next to you, not your mom, not your dad, not your pastor or the missionaries, but God loves you specifically. Now, God has his own reasons for why he loves you. None of us can figure that out about ourselves. Nobody can figure it out. We don't, it's not because there's something in us that is lovable or there's something that God needs. God has decided to love you because he decided to love you. So therefore, he loves you. But I want you to be careful here. Some would fall into a trap of the wicked one. And they say, God loves us so much that he would never send anybody to hell. Well, read this passage of scripture. That all takes, that care, takes care of that, doesn't it? The Lord, it says specifically, looks at this young man and loves him and then says, you're not going to make it. Now, wait a second. If he loved him so much, he says, you are lacking something and you are not going to make it. I love you, but you're not going to make it. My friend, God's love does not overrule his justice. You have to understand that. He loved you enough to make a way for you to go. He loved you enough to pay your sin debt. But he doesn't just overlook everything and say, okay, I'll never send anybody to hell. Sin must be paid either by Jesus Christ or by you. You make that decision. He made the way. You make the decision. Your way has been paid in Christ, but his justice, if it is not paid and not that payment of Christ is not accepted by you, then you will pay for your sin yourself. Now look at what the Lord says here. It's very interesting. Verse number 21. Don't get, try not to get confused here because this is, could be confusing. Then Jesus beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, that thou should have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. Is the Lord here teaching that in order to get to heaven, you have got to sell everything you have and live in poverty? The act of generosity to the poor and living in poverty yourself earns you a spot in heaven. Is that what the Bible is teaching? Well, it cannot be because it doesn't match the rest of the scripture. So let's try to put the pieces together. Why does he say this? Now, remember, the Lord lists the six commandments. 
and the man says, those I've done, right? Now, that's in his mind, I've kept all those commandments. Now, what is the summation of those commandments that we just talked about? In Mark 12, the Lord summarizes them into two. And the summation of those commandments is, you should love your neighbor as yourself. So he says, I've kept the six. But when the Lord says, sell all your stuff and give to your, the poor, which would be the fulfillment of loving your neighbor as yourself, is the man willing to do that? He's like, no way. What the Lord is showing him is, look, you didn't even keep the first six, these six that I listed. You didn't keep those. You're not loving your neighbor as yourself. Yes, you can kind of keep the dotted line and keep yourself in a box that I didn't do that and I didn't do that and I didn't do that. But the definition of those six is you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. And your definition, your hope of getting into heaven isn't working here because you're not even doing that yourself. You did not keep those six commandments. That's what the Lord is telling him here. He was trying to justify himself, and that's wrong. But what we find is, number six, this young ruler has the wrong heart. What he wanted was to just add something to what he's already doing. This is so common in our world. This is so common amongst God's people, by the way. We just want to add something to what we're already doing. Now remember, the Lord did not, did not list the first four commandments when he gave him the Ten Commandments. He only listed the last six. He didn't list the first four. What is the summation of the, of the first four? Love the Lord our God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. What is the first commandment? Thou shalt have no, have no other gods before me. Does this young man have a God in front of God? Who is that God? What is that God? Money. He's not kept the commandments. The Lord doesn't mention those first six because he's going to take what he's justifying himself with and show him, look, you didn't even do that. But he has a God in front of him, and that God is the God of money. He's willing to add whatever he can, whatever he's, he's already doing these things, and okay, tell me what else I can do to add to this. But his one true God, which was money, he was not willing to let go. Many who seek the Lord, they're willing to add or subtract some of the things from their life. Okay, I'll quit doing that and I'll start doing this. They'll make a few changes here and there, but to give up their main God, they are unwilling to do. It may be a person, it may be an idea, it may be a lifestyle, it may be some sin, but as long as that God can stay ruling, they will add or subtract whatever else is needed, but they are unwilling to let go of that God and have him dethroned. Actually, in a life, it typically boils down to one thing. A person, that, I won't give it up because I have to give up that person or this event or this thing or this idea. I have to give that up and I will not dethrone that God. 
I'll do any of these other things, but I will not let my own God be dethroned. And so they have a God, small g, in front of God. You know, I find that in God's people, this is also true. They're Christian, they, become, they come to Christ and they begin to grow in Christ and then they come to a spot where they have one idea or one activity or one this or one that and when God says, that's got to go, they say, I'm not going. I will not give in to that. You have another God in front of God, if that's the case. And many of God's people stop right there they come to this thing and they will not let this thing go. They will not agree. And so that is their God. And they serve it. No matter. And you know, these lots of people, they put on such a good front that nobody in the church knows that that's what they are. They have, everybody's like, oh, they're really good people. They're really good Christians. But they are stopped right there in their growth with God because they will not give in. To, the, to and let that God, small g, rule, be, his rule be dethroned. This rich young ruler had everything else in place, but he did not have the right heart. He left the Lord completely dissatisfied. Isn't that amazing? He could have left with eternal life, and he left completely dissatisfied because he would not let his little God go. Let's make one quick observation on, on the passage here. I don't have time to get to the end of it. I might do that tonight. But look at verse number 23. And Jesus looked around about and said to his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? In this verse... I find great reason to get down on my knees and rejoice in the grace of God. And if you know the Lord sitting here today, you should too. If I went around this room and asked, how many of you see yourself in this verse? How many see yourself as rich? You would say, that's laughable. But do you realize... What does the Bible set the standard at? Having food and raiment be there with content. So if you have enough food to eat and you have some clothes to wear, something to actually put on, then that's satisfaction. That you should be satisfied at that. Meaning that much of the humanity will live without those things. Which is true, by the way. Much of humanity lives... Why do you think we're collecting coats out there in the foyer? Much of humanity lives without food and clothing. Now, let me ask you this. When was the last time you worried about food? Right now, because I'm hungry. None of us in this room, in our lifetimes, have probably worried about how much we're going to be, if we're going to be able to eat this week or not. Most of us have worried about what we're going to do with the excess food that we put on that now is trying to come off, and it's a lot more difficult to come off than it went on. The fact of the matter is we could feed the world 
on the garbage cans of the United States. We're rich. How about your clothes? When was the last time that you didn't have anything to wear? I know you stood in front of your closet this morning and said, I haven't got a thing to wear, meaning I don't have anything I like to wear. Now, I don't consider myself and Carol fashion hounds by any stretch. We're building, we're modeling our bedroom, and we're putting in a walk-in closet that is as big as any of the bedrooms I had as I was a kid. Why is that? Because i got to store all my clothes someplace. When was the last time you worried about having something, anything, to cover your body? And the answer to that is never. In the United States, our homeless people have very up-to-date cell phones. We do not have poverty here. That means we have riches here. This is a very rich country that we live in. And you are one of them. And do you realize what this passage of Scripture says? It's impossible for you to be saved. And then it goes on to say, with God, nothing is impossible. And you sit here today because of the grace of God who so worked in your heart, even though you had more than you ever needed, to draw you to himself. You should be on the other side of this verse. But you sit here today, I sit here today, and this is cause for great rejoicing. If you had something to eat all every day of your life and you had a, something to put on, an extra suit of clothes besides what you're wearing right now, you're in the rich category and you should not be in this verse. But you are. And you ought to get down on your knees and thank God for the grace that drew you to himself instead of just letting you wallow in the wealth of this life. You are one of the rich that the grace of God came down to, and that ought to cause great rejoicing. We have this rich young ruler. He had the right urgency. He had the right attitude. He had the right desire. He had the right knowledge. He had the right actions. But he had the wrong heart. And my friends, almost is not enough. Let's pray.